Welcome to Therapist to Brunch, a podcast in collaboration with Dive Through. I'm Dr. Carrie, and I have my PhD in psychology. And I'm Erica, and I'm a clinical social worker. We're here to talk all things therapy and beyond. From candid conversations with other mental health professionals to personal anecdotes, nothing is off limits. So grab a mimosa or a coffee and let's dig in. Before we start this episode, we did want to let you know that we will be discussing suicide and suicidal thoughts. If you are worried about yourself or someone you know, please check the show notes for resources. All right, guys. So welcome back to Therapist Who Brunch. This is Carrie, and I have Erica here with me. We are so excited because we have a very special guest for our podcast today, Dr. Jessica Rabin. She is a licensed clinical psychologist working with children and teens. Her primary clinical interests include depression, anxiety, chronic illness, LGBTQ plus health, and eating disorders. Dr. Jess uses her social media platforms as a way to educate, normalize, and break the stigma surrounding mental health. And today, we are so excited that she's going to be telling us about how She is breaking the stigma around mental health by busting mental health myths on TikTok. So welcome, Jess. We're so excited to have you here. Thank you for having me. I'm super excited to chat with you all. I love the podcast, so I'm so excited to be here. Guys, Jess is like our number one fan. She's amazing. So we'll obviously let you know where you can find her at the end of this, but definitely go follow her on Instagram and all of that. But Jess, Carrie just gave you like an amazing intro, but can you share a little bit more about like who you are personally and professionally and I guess relevant experience to this topic, I guess why you want to, you know, debunk myths and help normalize mental health just like we do. Of course. So like Dr. Carrie said, um, I'm a licensed clinical psychologist in South Carolina. Carrie and I did not know each other though (laughs) before Instagram, even though we have a lot of (laughs) strange connections. (laughs) Um, Um, and I work in a children's hospital, both medical inpatient and outpatient. And I work exclusively with children and, um, adolescents and young adults. So up to 24, which is part of the reason I'm really passionate about like using social media as a tool to educate because the clients I work with are of the age that are typically on social media. Um, In a personal realm, I'm a new mom to an almost four month old. (laughs) I'm a wife. I also have a dog who, poor dog, has not been getting nearly as much attention (laughs) since the baby came. But, um, and I guess another reason I'm really passionate about like using social media, especially TikTok, I would consider myself or say I've been a mental health advocate for over a decade probably now. So um, on a little personal note, when I was 18, my cousin died by suicide and that really changed my trajectory. So I was chemistry major, I was going to go to pharmacy school. And then I decided to kind of change gears and go into psychology. I worked for a nonprofit, Mental Health America. I was a crisis line volunteer. And during that time, I really started using social media, which at that point was like Facebook and Tumblr. Um, <laughs> Oh my gosh, I remember Tumblr. (laughs) I still have my Tumblr. I don't use it, but I still have it from like over a decade ago. (laughs) Um, So I started using social media as a way to like educate for mental health. I had a blog and I would write like blog posts, um, especially like on suicide and things like that. So I've really been using social media to spread awareness for over a decade at this point. Um, 
And then, I mean, we'll talk specifically about TikTok. I joined her in the quarantine, like most people. And I quickly realized it was a really good way to get information out there um, compared to other social media platforms. I felt I could reach a wider audience. I gained a following pretty quickly on there. And it's a lot of teenagers. And that's the population I like to work with. So that's kind of how I got into TikTok. Dr. Jesse, you have so many amazing like personal and professional experiences that I feel like just make you just such a great psychologist. So thank you for sharing your personal and professional background. It's really great to hear. And you're I think I found you first on Instagram, but really like your TikTok, which I know you post some of the same things on each platform, but like, I am like, honestly, like amazed by all of the things you post because I'm like, yes, she is posting good information for all of the teens out on TikTok to understand like what mental health is and like how to get help for it. So it's really awesome what you're doing. Thank you. Totally. I mean, I obviously agree, but I think what's cool is you're kind of, I guess, moving along with the trends of just life with social media. I think a lot of therapists kind of stay off, some will stay off social media or they won't use certain platforms. And if you want to connect with youth, you kind of have to be on those platforms, especially because there's so much misinformation out there that we want like mental health professionals out there giving correct information and giving resources. So I think that's really cool that you take your time to do that part. Thank you. Yeah. And I mean, I know when I first started, I don't know if you all had kind of this experience, like there's nothing in our ethics codes about social media. Mm -hmm. And so we're all kind of navigating this, um, I don't know, together. And there really is no right or wrong because it's not in our, well, there could definitely be wrong. Let me clarify that. (laughs) You could be doing some wrong, but like with regard to like posting mental health information and things like that. And I know by following you all or other therapists on social media, like I feel like the therapists I follow do a very good job of saying like, this is not a replacement for therapy. This is for educational purposes only. And I think as long as we have those disclaimers, we really can reach a wider audience, especially the younger generations that may not know how to ask for therapy. Maybe their parents are against therapy, but they want to go. There's so many um, possibilities, or maybe they see information and is like, hey, therapy's not nearly as scary. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Let me ask totally. my parents to go. I have such like a small aside that popped into my head when you were talking. One of my one of my clients actually asked for therapy because of TikTok. So we're going to talk about like the pros and cons of TikTok as an app, but I just mm-hmm. think like that's a pro that they even know therapy exists and that they want therapy. And I mean, I am such an advocate for therapy, but when I was like 15, I wasn't, I didn't think it was a possibility for me and it probably mm-hmm. would have been great. So that's so interesting to me. Yeah. And I, I love that you're bringing up like how you can really reach so many people on social media and like the ethics behind it, because I guess when, with my training background, I was told to stay off of social media, you know, as someone in the psychology field and, you know, like all of the dangers of it, all of the risks, but I think really like looking at the benefits, there are so many that really need to be explored. And so I I love that you are advocating for mental health therapists to use, you know, a social media app to reach people and spread that information. I I mean, I have heard the risk as well, but I think there are, if it's done in an ethical and professional manner, there are so many benefits 
to it. And the kind of mindset I go in from is, you know, there is a potential since I work with teenagers that they are going to find my social media. So I will only post things I am comfortable with them seeing and knowing about me. Cause I do share much more personal stuff than I would in the therapy session, but I would never share something that I would not want a client to know about me. If that Mm -hmm. makes sense. Totally. I have the same philosophy. And I think also, you know, not to get too off topic, but there's this whole, you know, coaching world that's emerging and people may or may not be familiar. We did a podcast earlier with Rachel Nelson and she's a coach. So people can listen to that if they have any questions, but with all of that, I think they're kind of is more disclosing in therapy now, especially if you use more of like a CBT approach. And I think of, I kind of think about before I post, am I comfortable with anybody seeing this? And do I feel like it's authentic to my platform and the message I'm spreading? And if the answer is yes, then I share. So I feel like as long as we're coming at it with that mindset, it's safe. But I guess to jump in a little bit more, we kind of mentioned a few, I guess, benefits of social media. We're specifically going to talk about TikTok since it's, I mean, it's so trendy right now and it's all the rage and all of that stuff. So what do you think are the benefits of TikTok right now? So with like regard to social media and mental Mm. health awareness and things like that. Um, I definitely think, and I've kind of already mentioned this, it's like a fun way to get information out there. So if people listening are on TikTok, you just upload up to 60 seconds of a video. I believe it initially was more like just dances and things like that. But now it, you know, you can talk for 60 seconds. There's still trending dances, other trends Mm -hmm. and things like that. Um, (laughs) Which I think is cool because like, I know I've done this or I've seen other mental health professionals, like you learn the like trending dance, but then you put like information about mental health in it. So it like is a cool way to capture um, the audience. I think, um, like you said, people might see information and say, hey, I think I want to reach out and get some therapy. It's a different type of platform to educate on compared to like Mm -hmm. Instagram where more posts. So if people maybe don't want to read like text posts, they can watch videos. Um, You can reach people that may not be able to receive mental health treatment. Um, From a professional standpoint, I have met so many therapists on TikTok who one, I learned from, but two, I can then collaborate with and like Mm -hmm. come up with ideas together. Um, if the algorithm is in your favor, which I have not figured out the algorithm, <laughs> being on it over a year, it does push out videos like very far. Like I have videos that have hundreds of thousands of views. And so you can reach more people than, at least for me, than like Instagram or mm-hmm. Facebook. Um, other, except Instagram has come out with reels. So they're trying to get on the TikTok trend, I guess. But um, yeah, so those are some of the pros. I'm sure there's so many more, but there's a one. Yeah. You, you brought up such an important, like about like how there's a lot of mental health professionals doing like the like trending dances or the other trends too, because I think what's cool is that all of the mental health information just kind of blends into people's for you page. So you might see a trend with someone just doing the dance of like whatever the week is. And then the next post is Dr. Just doing the dance, but like with mental health information over it, which is super cool. It also, it also normalizes, I think, therapist, right? Like it makes us look more approachable and it doesn't make us look like, I mean, like the way media portrays therapists of just like sitting on the couch with your glasses and your pen or whatever. Like it kind of, it makes us look more human and like humanizes therapists. So I think that's also just a benefit of 
therapists getting on social media and people who do have a mental health background, like using social media platforms to spread awareness and spread information. Mm-hmm. I completely agree. Like it, and just like you all are doing with your podcast, like it humanizes therapists. Like we are real people. Um, <laughs> I mean, I know like I made a TikTok yesterday about like anxiety and caffeine. And so like, I'll talk a lot about like personal struggles with anxiety or like being a new mom, but like putting mental health information in there while also talking about personal experience more relatable. I love it. You are doing such an awesome job of blending in all of those pieces. And so there are so many pros, but like one of the biggest negatives I feel like is all of the misinformation out on, I mean, TikTok, of course, any social media in general, it is so frustrating for me to see it as a mental health provider. And so I'm just curious, like, what are your thoughts about all of the misinformation around therapy and mental health on TikTok? I mean, it frustrates <laughs> me so <laughs> much. And especially because, and once again, I said, I, I have not figured out the algorithm, but, and this applies to all social media, but I think there's this idea that if somebody has like a ton of followers, like millions of followers, they're somehow credible, even if mm-hmm. they don't have a license or even like a certification and whatever they're talking about. And I believe for TikTok, if you are a more popular creator, your videos get pushed out. Mm-hmm. So that is really frustrating because there are a handful of quote unquote mental health advocates that have no professional training on social media with huge following that push out the information um, that is not always accurate and can be harmful. And one thing I've seen too, since they do have these large followings and they connect on like being relatable or sharing their stories, they kind of have these like supporters, these fans. And so if you try to correct the misinformation, like these people will come and attack you for lack of a better term saying like, you just don't know, like, why are you going after this person like that? And the thing I've had to realize is like, these are vulnerable individuals and they probably have been helped by this person and they're probably struggling and seeing the person that has helped them so much being challenged creates cognitive dissonance. And so they defend it. Um, I think the misinformation can be really harmful. Um, unfortunately, so I, I would say on mental health, TikTok in particular. So people are either therapists themselves, students studying to be in the mental health field or vulnerable individuals struggling with their mental health. And when the misinformation is out there, a lot of vulnerable individuals may not know how to decipher good from bad information, accurate from inaccurate information. Um, And like I said earlier, a large following on social media somehow makes you automatically credible, which is Mm -hmm. not often the case. Um, Also, I've seen with TikTok too, that a lot of times when people are trying to do just like talking serious videos, TikTok unfortunately flags a lot of mental health words like suicide, trauma, and won't push the video out there or thinks it is like, I don't know, triggering in some way. So they block it. Um, And so if the algorithm is not in your favor, the information that we actually want to get out there won't, but this misinformation unfortunately spreads like wildfire. Yeah. You, you know, you brought up like a good way of me, I think, to think about it too, about like all of the people who are following this misinformation and believing it, like it makes sense how they probably have been helped by the person who maybe the mental health advocate that is pushing misinformation. And it's like, 
they can definitely share some great information about mental health, like no doubt, but like there are limits to what they know sometimes where they might not have the training and education, um, which is where I think it does definitely become really harmful. There's a difference between, I think, talking about your own experience as somebody who's maybe dealt with mental health issues in the past and telling people how they could help themselves. And I think that's kind of where it's hard to differentiate. It's like, I may share what's helpful for me with anxiety, but that doesn't mean that I would tell my client to do the same thing. And I think it's really important to differentiate that. And when you're somebody struggling and you see somebody talking about the same thing that you struggle with, you start to identify and relate with them. So it becomes very hard to separate into like myths myth bust. I mean, I know for myself, sometimes I'll see stuff. I'm like, is this true? Am I just like wrong? And I'll look it up and I have to figure it out for myself. And I have years of training. So I mean, there's so much more we can talk about, but I know Dr. Jess, that you picked a few myths for us to just kind of debunk on TikTok. So where should we start? So before we hit record, I told them I could like do so many. So I'm trying to pick ones (laughs) in different areas. So one that's been coming up a lot. So I do a lot of, um, information more uh, targeted towards like minors, whether it's how to seek therapy or like their rights and therapies. And one thing that has come up so much recently that is minors think it's illegal or a HIPAA violation for your therapist to talk to your parents. I have seen that all over the place. Like, you know, you know, my therapist talked to my parents about this. And so I didn't trust them anymore because that's illegal or that's a HIPAA violation. And so I've had to explain to people like, it's not one illegal and two, it's not a HIPAA violation. However, a good therapist working with children and teens will keep your confidentiality with the exception of harm. But at the end of the day, if they're your parent or guardian, they do have a right to your information. Um, but a good therapist will keep your confidentiality. And I actually did a um, video probably a couple of weeks ago, because somebody asked, like, how do you approach that conversation? And I always tell um, individuals that like during the first session, I bring parent and teen in and go over limits of confidentiality that are standard to everyone. But then say how I operate is I'm going to keep everything confidential, except in the cases of harm, because I know your teen will not talk to me and then not make progress if they think I'm going to go tell you everything. Um, and then we kind of go over like what harm looks like, because obviously for an adult, if they disclose concerning substance abuse to me, I cannot report that to anyone, but that would be something I would bring a parent in for, for a teen. And we kind of talk through that. Um, so that's one I've seen a lot. Like they think it's illegal. Tell your parents things. Yeah, I, I haven't, I didn't know that one was going around, but like, I think it's so good that you like clarify it too. And especially with the Cures Act now, I mean, I am very upfront with the teens I work with about like, your parents, they have access to your medical chart, which means your medical record notes, they will be visible to your parents very easily. Um, Technically, your parents can request it at any time before this, but still like, and I kind of let them know, like, this is the information I will put in your chart, you know, this is the information I won't put in your chart, say it's someone struggling with their gender identity, like, I'm not gonna put that information in there. That's a really good, I guess, caveat to it, I think, is that you want to be open and honest as therapists about what you will and will share and what you, what they do have access to. And I fortunately have not run into too many issues, I feel like, with my clients as far as parents trying to get information. But I think that I always say to the 
the child or the teen, you can share whatever you want with your parent that, you know, I'm going to, and I'm here if you need help to share it, but you're allowed to share. So where the confidentiality comes in is that I want to keep your trust, but I think also you want to, you want to encourage kids to share with their parents. You want them to trust their parents just as much as they trust us as their therapist. But I mean, that's wild. I also didn't know that was going around TikTok. So I'm so glad that you picked that one. Yeah, I've seen that a lot. And I th- it might just be like the types of videos I make. So people, I'm attracted mm-hmm. So that's definitely one. Um, okay. So the number next two. one, which I <laughs> Number two, which Carrie's probably going to have a stronger reaction to. Gosh. This has been a popular one here recently, that if you disclose suicidal thoughts to your therapist, you're going to be automatically sent to a psychiatric facility. Oh, um, this one. This one has come up for me in sessions too. Like I have had teens bring up this tic- like TikToks about it. Um, oh my gosh. And they're like, and they bring it up because there's ones where it's like, oh, you can't be too honest when you're too honest with your therapist and then they hospitalize you for your mental health. And like, I literally had a teen who like brought that up and I was like, okay, like let's actually walk through that because you know, that's not necessarily true. Yeah. <laughs> and I mean, so going back to the idea that individuals with a lot of people following them seem credible. I think, I mean, there were other videos around, but I think this really came to light when a big quote unquote mental health advocate who has 1.7 million followers made a video basically saying you don't disclose your uh, suicidal thoughts as a way to avoid um, a psychiatric facility. And I've made a number of videos on this talking about how, you know, a good therapist will do a thorough suicide assessment. And if you don't have intent or plan, and can contract for safety. So that's the third component. There is no reason you should be sent to a psychiatric. Additionally, which I don't, because I still get a lot of comments like, well, I only had thoughts and I got sent or locked up right away or whatever they want to use. But, and I can't speak to other countries, but like in the US, you get sent to the ER first. And then there's another full assessment there. So even if maybe in therapy, you couldn't contract for safety, but then by the time you get to the ER, And, you know, the moment of crisis is over. If you are having thoughts, but you can contract for safety and you have no plan or intent, hospitalization is likely not going to occur unless you want to be hospitalized. So that's another thing. Like you can be voluntarily hospitalized, but that's one I've seen a lot. And one thing that I guess looking at it from another perspective, like the perspective of the client, I do think as clinicians, we need to do better because suicide is a hard topic. And I think some clinicians aren't well-trained in it and it also scares them. So those individuals may have been sent to the ER for an evaluation because their therapist was not properly trained. But for anybody listening, if you don't have plan or intent and can contract for safety, you should not be sent to a hospital against your will. Um, And I think it's important to ask your therapist at the first or second session, like how comfortable are you with dealing with suicidal thoughts? What is kind of the process um, cause suicidal thoughts are actually very common. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's like four <laughs> out of seven people experience them. It's something real. It's majority of people will have them. Yeah. There's a difference. I always say there's a difference between like fleeting suicidal ideation and in like you said, intent or a plan. And I think that, I mean, I've had those conversations with parents before too, about differentiating what the concerns are and what kind of, uh, what part is like kind of we can normalize a little bit more and I think that 
we want our clients to be able to talk to us. So I'm so glad you picked that one. I mean, Carrie, what else do you have to share about this? Because I know you're like, (laughs) you've had so much experience with this, especially with your job. Yeah. I mean, I think like, you know, it's hard to come up with like very concrete things that we can tell teenagers like in TikTok videos to be like, if you say this, you will be hospitalized. But if you don't Mm -hmm. say this, you you know, you will be hospitalized. So it's like, Dr. Just did a great job of saying like, you know, being able to contract for safety. So a therapist should create a safety plan with you. And you should be involved in that. Meaning like, if you're just answering, I don't know, I don't know, like that can be considered not contracting for safety. Um, So like, there's a lot of gray areas and definitely, you know, trying to talk to your therapist about that if it is a concern is something I think is important. And Dr. Carey, I think you just brought up a really good point too about like, we can't give concretes in videos. And I think another kind of, I know I'm jumping back, but like con or downside to TikTok in particular, you only have 60 seconds. So Mm -hmm. it's impossible to get all this information and adequately get information in a 60 second TikTok. Mm -hmm. Um, which I think can, depending on who's watching it, then can be misinterpreted or misconstrued. Um, but yeah, that was just a random thought I had when you yeah. said concrete information. Completely. And it's like, that's part of, I think the issue with the misinformation is misinformation is so much easier to spread. It's like, if you, if you make a TikTok that says, if you tell your therapist suicidal thoughts, they're going to hospitalize you. That's so much easier than going through all the nuances like you do. <laughs> and also like, People, some people who have experienced suicidal thoughts or maybe even have made attempts, whatever it kind of looks like, they may be terrified of going to the hospital. So now you have somebody who is, you know, strong enough to reach out for therapy maybe, but now they feel like they can't be authentic with their therapist because they're so scared of going back to the hospital or they're so scared of going to the hospital. I mean, again, the way media portrays hospitalization is different than what it really looks like. And it's also like, I mean, I'm from Long Island and it's very hard for a kid to be hospitalized here because they don't have the beds. They don't have the capacity. So even in the opposite kind of we're talking about, we've had to talk about kids who need to be there, what they really need to say to get in. So it's a really like convoluted um, subject, but I think like to wrap it up, please be honest with your therapists. We promise we will do a thorough suicide assessment and if your therapist does send you to the hospital after doing that, it's for your best interest. But I think it's like you said before, Dr. Justin, it's such an important thing is ask your therapist when you first start working with them. I think it's so important to interview your therapist too. Definitely. Um, which is actually a good segue into what I was going to use as my third uh, myth. And I honestly haven't seen this one recently, but like when I first started getting into like therapist mental health TikTok, I saw this all the time that therapists are paid to care or are only in it for the money. I have seen that too. It drives me crazy. <laughs> Definitely um, not in it for the money. It's <laughs> like, let's just start there. <laughs> like my friends, I don't work. Um, I'm not a full-time therapist. Like I'm not, a, I'm an, I'm a contractor, but my full-time therapist friend, Cassie, who was just on, she has 70 clients on her caseload. Like that's insane. So trust me when we say that, but I'm sorry, I digress, but go on. No, no. And that, and like, you can't like, especially in private practice, you can make sure money. And like, as 
a psychologist having my PhD in clinical psychology, like I definitely make a good living. But one thing I always say, I'm a doctor, but not the kind that makes money. As somebody that works mm-hmm. in a hospital, like the amount of money I make compared to medical doctors is like <laughs> nothing. I was just thinking about this the other day, as far as like insurance panels, if we, if all therapists got paid the same, same way doctors get paid on insurance panels, more of us that are in private practice would get on panels. Mm-hmm. But again, oh, yeah. that's a whole nother conversation, but go on. Sorry. Oh no, no. It, it, that's a very good point. And getting on insurance panels, a pain. Um, <laughs> and then the other part, like therapists are paid to care. Like Yes, this is our job. I was actually having this conversation with a client recently. I just saw her for the first time after returning from maternity leave. And we were just talking about like her feelings of burdensomeness and things like that. And I said to her like, yes, this is my job. And so I do get paid to do what I'm doing, but I would not be doing this job if I did not care about my patients. Like being a therapist, psychologist, social worker, or anything in the mental health field would be miserable if you truly did not care. A hundred percent. It's, I don't know how I, I don't know if I can say it any better than that. It's just, there's a lot of heart and feelings and just everything that goes into being a therapist or being someone in the mental health profession. You have to really have a passion and empathy for it to be in the field. And I think that there's a lot of people who think they want to be in it and then they get into it and they're like, oh no, this is not for me, which is totally fine. But yeah, I mean, I definitely care in general whether I was getting paid or not. So I think you guys can all relate. Yeah, we would not have gone to school for like all of this training without, you know, caring a lot about the work we do. And we do need to, you know, make money to support ourselves, of course. But like we are very motivated to help people and that's why we are doing it. Yeah. And last thought kind of going back to like the medical professional, I have never heard somebody say like, Oh, my cardiologist is paid to care about my heart. Like (laughs) that's so funny about other professionals. So I don't know why I couldn't. Yeah. I couldn't fake it if I wanted to. And I think, you know, yeah, that's such a good point. And I think that again, like this is why we do our podcast. This is why we spread information on social media because we want people to get it. We want the stigma behind therapy to kind of release because it's different than the way it's been portrayed for years prior to, you know, our training. So for people like who see this misinformation, like I'm thinking like teens in particular, or like honestly, even adults, like it can be hard to tell what is misinformation and what's true. So like, I was wondering if you have any thoughts on how um, teens, they can kind of navigate the world of social media and mental health um, in like a safe way that is informed by evidence. So I guess the first part is more, my thought process is like what as professionals we should be doing to help teens navigate. So like putting our credentials in our bio, like, and one thing, and I've shared this on TikTok before, but like, and I don't share my last name on my bigger platforms, but people could find me if they really wanted to, like, you can look up if somebody is licensed. Like, so if somebody, you know, you're following and you know their name and where they're, they are, but you can't figure out like, are they actually licensed or not? You can look up. Or even a Google search is probably going to, like, if you type, like, Jessica Rabin, therapist, South Carolina, like, I will come up. (laughs) I promise (laughs) you. Or psychologist, um, South Carolina. So I think 
to help our teens navigate putting our credentials in our bios or our videos. I know a lot of TikTok therapists like might start. Um, so TJ is one of them. His TikTok is TikTok counseling. Instagram is Instagram counseling. He starts his videos like I'm a licensed therapist and, and then we'll go into um, that. So I think that's helpful. Um, also something on the therapist side that we could do to help teens is like call out the misinformation when we see it. So on TikTok, you can do what's called stitching a video. So take five seconds of the video and then add your own duetting a video so the video is up next to you or put in comments on the videos. Um, I think for us to make videos on teaching youth how to decipher like what is a licensed professional versus a mental health advocate and like what are bounds because one thing and I know Carrie and I've had conversations about this on Instagram like unfortunately as licensed professionals we have to report to an ethics board where unlicensed professionals have no consequences. Mm -hmm. um, and we can also like put out information like red flags to look for in therapists or mental health professionals, how to talk to parents about um, answering questions in comments if teens are leaving comments. So I think that's things we can do on like the teenager side. If teens are listening, obviously search for accounts that are doing those things. But I mean, the biggest piece of advice I would say is just be skeptical. Like, okay, what is this information? And like, do your research. So maybe you see a really good post. The person looks like credible. Okay, what other information do I have? Like, I'm just going to use ADHD as an example because we're talking to you, <laughs> Dr. Carey. Like, okay, <laughs> somebody put this um, information about ADHD on. I also follow Dr. Carey and she talks about ADHD. Let me go to her platform and see if this aligns or let me do a Google search. Google can give us misinformation as well, but, you know, be, use your critical thinking skills. Um, and then also if you find like a therapist that you like, whether on TikTok or Instagram, look at the accounts they're following and sharing, because if it's a licensed professional, they are going to be sharing accurate information from other licensed professionals. And then you start filling your feed with information from licensed professionals. Those are such good points. I think another thing that I was thinking of when you said that is one, it's also on the platform, I think, to do a better job of deep or flagging myths. And I know this might be a little taboo, I guess, but just like with COVID, how everything's a link to COVID when you post anything about it, we need to do a better job of that. I'm on Instagram, on TikTok. And I mean, they obviously have the resources. These apps are making billions of dollars, if not more. So I just think that would be a good flag too. And then another thing I was thinking of also is this is less about, I guess, fact checking and more about like internally looking in. If you're a teen and you're seeing this information and you're taking it in and it's impacting you, I really think about like, why is it impacting you? What is it saying about you? And I think that that's an important thing to think about too. Cause maybe that means like you're dealing with anxiety. Maybe if you're triggered by something you see, maybe it's cause you're dealing with anxiety and then maybe go and, you know, look at those credible, I guess, accounts. I don't know. Those are some of my thoughts as you were talking. Yeah. I love that you brought up like how we need to put a lot of it on the therapists themselves, because we are the ones with the backgrounds, the experience and also, like putting it on the apps, they should be doing more for this. I think that is a huge point that hopefully there will be, um, you know, more of that in the future. And like as frustrating as it can be to be a mental health provider on social media, like the number of people who have reached out to me, like in my DMs to be like, 
thank you for finally like providing information that is true like and like that is backed by science like there's so many people telling me my ADHD is because of things I've eaten or because of how I was raised by my parents and so thank you for actually sharing what is true mental health information that's been definitely a rewarding Um, link your resources as therapists link your resources share resources I mean I think a lot of us will like blog and stuff like that and that's where you can find a lot of resource links but I mean so much more we could talk about but I think we should get into our fun little questions to kind of end our conversation go ahead Carrie you can start so we always ask every guest who comes on, what is your go-to brunch meal and drink? So I have like thought about this every time I listen <laughs> to the podcast because I'm like, if I'm ever on, okay, what would I answer? So it's definitely a mimosa, like that hands down. And the meal really depends on my mood. I love a good eggs Benedict, but sometimes I really just want like a veggie omelet. Like, cause it makes me feel healthy that I'm eating vegetables. <laughs> breakfast so one of those two those both sound amazing every guest keeps saying mimosa too (laughs) it's just the most basic I just feel like it can't go wrong you know like everything else I feel like I can't have more than one but all right and our last question is we've always covered so many mental health topics just having this conversation I feel like we could talk about so much more but what is one mental health topic you think should be talked about over your brunch just to normalize it even more So since I'm a new mom, I would say talking about like maternal or parental mental health, um, because I mean, I've only been a mom for just shy of four months, but I've realized like, it's something we don't really talk about. Like we talk about like postpartum depression and anxiety or like how wonderful it is to be a mom, but we don't just talk about like the day-to-day struggles. So having like a real conversation about, um, parental mental health, because dad's struggle too. So I think, you know, getting mimosas with some of your new mom or new parent friends and just being like, yeah, this is hard. (laughs) And this is why I cried today. (laughs) How about you? That's such a good point. I think we all need community. And I think that we, we just benefit from seeing people who are going through the same stuff and feeling like we're not alone in that. And I, I feel like we need to do like a podcast just about this in general too. But, uh, this has been so fun having you on. I, think you're like so amazing and so smart, but where can our listeners find you? Plug your social media. (laughs) Yeah. So my um, Instagram and TikTok is both um, Jessica Lee PhD. I'm assuming you can link them, but Lee is L-E-I-G-H. So Jessica Lee PhD. And then I also have my own podcast, which is called Psych Talk. So you can find that on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you find podcasts. Go follow her guys. And yes, we'll put it in the show notes. Yes. Thank you so much, Dr. Jess, for coming on. I know that this um, podcast episode was super helpful for everyone. And we just love how much like, you know, we've gotten to know you from us starting this podcast too. So thank you so much for joining um, us today. So for everybody listening, be sure that you follow us, subscribe to us and give us a rating on Apple Podcasts so that we know what content would be helpful for you guys um, in the future. Thanks again. All right, guys, we'll be back next week. Bye.